Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery podcast, WikiHole. You know what a WikiHole is. We've all been there. You look up a certain celebrity, see how tall they are and whether they've said anything cringe about vaccines. Before you know it, you're 10 minutes into reading about something called a toast sandwich. That's basically what it's like to listen to WikiHole, only funnier. Every episode is a new rabbit hole to explore with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends, loaded with unforgettable new information you'll literally never need to know. And that's why it's great. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a guest comes on to play a clip of one of their jokes, sketches, scenes, songs, what have you, and then discusses how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. This week's guest is Cecily Strong. This is very exciting, well, for at least me personally. Cecily has been a cast member of Saturday Night Live since 2012. And right out of the gate, she just made sense there, having one of the most active first seasons in the last 20 years. I think you'd have to point to Kristen Wiig and maybe more recently Bone Yang for cast members who hit the ground running so quickly. In the season since, she has proven herself to be just one of the all-time great sketch performers. Seriously, over the years, I've had the pleasure of talking to a variety of SNL writers, and you should hear them talk about Cecily. You watch her and she's able to get laughs on small micro gestures while also being able to do big yet never cheap moves when the time calls for it. She can make the wildest characters and the most ridiculous scenes feel real. I also say Cecily has grown into a fantastic sketch writer as well, co-writing some of my favorite sketches of the last few years. Her Erica Jane parody that caused host Larry David to laugh uncontrollably the sketch Hot Tub Christmas from this season, and the sketch 80s music video from when Donald Glover hosted, which, for Vulture, I called the best sketch of season 43. All with her frequent collaborators, SNL writing legend James Anderson, and current co-head writer Kent Sublette. So I, as well as many close SNL watchers, were freaking pumped when it was announced earlier this summer that after eight seasons on the show, Cecily was nominated for her first Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. One of the characters that likely got her the nomination is her impersonation of Fox News lunatic Janine Pirro, which Cecily has been doing on the show since 2015, but more famously as part of Weekend Update since 2019. We'll play clips of her other appearances throughout, but before the interview, we'll play Janine's first Weekend Update from March 2019. Though, maybe more so than any time in the past, I really implore you to watch the videos of her performances because they are remarkably physical. We'll include links to some in the show notes. But before that, we thought we'd play a short, very short clip of the actual Janine Pirro to show how Cecily transformed her into a character people are actually excited to see. So, here is Janine Pirro 
followed by Cecily Strong as Janine Pirro. So let's recap. Neither the president nor anyone on the Trump campaign colluded with Russia. You couldn't make a decision on obstruction, and by law the attorney general and deputy attorney general had to do so. So who the hell asked you this week to come out and muddy the waters like Jim Comey did in 2016? I guess we now have a competition between holier-than-thou Jim Comey and mixed-up Monsignor Mueller, both members of the choir of never-Trumpers in the Church of the Demon Rats, because that's what this is all about. Nothing more and nothing less. Fox News personality Judge Jeanine Pirro returned to television tonight after being suspended two weeks for controversial comments about a Muslim congresswoman. Here to explain is Jeanine Pirro. Janine Pirro, and it's up to you to decide just what my whole deal is. That's great. So you're back on Fox. That's right. This Mueller report completely exonerated the president, and therefore everybody on the Trump train. Woo woo! So somebody at Fox News said my name into a bathroom mirror three times, and here I am. And Colin. I just want to take this opportunity to say hi to my super fans out there. Mean, horny men laying on in-home hospital beds and white prison gangs who control the remote on Saturdays. Thank you for watching. Yeah, you, you, don't, you know, I don't have to shout. You know, I can hear you. Can't do it, pal. Mama's got one volume, and it's three Chardonnays deep at a crowded party. <laughs> So you really think that this report totally exonerates the president because the attorney general's letter made it sound a little murky. That's crystal clear. No collusion, no obstruction. The report concludes that the president is 35 years old and 175 pounds. He's got the rugged good looks of Bradley Cooper and he smells like steak and complimentary bathroom cologne. And he's a USDA certified sex machine who can wax that ass from dust till dawn. <laughs> I really don't think it says that. And also, how can you be so sure about the Mueller report when no one's actually read it? But no one should read it, Colin. That's why tonight I'm asking Attorney General William Barr to tell the world that President Trump is innocent and then burn that report for all of eternity. Just Kalimad into the Temple of Doom. And sorry, short round, you ain't stopping Dr. Jones this time. Okay. Okay. Now, see, it's that type of comments that maybe got you in trouble. Uh-uh-uh. Sorry, Colin. After this Mueller report, we in Trump Nation can do anything we want. That's right. Yeah, I actually heard that Trump say this week he might just completely close the border with Mexico. What? <laughs> wow. Are you okay? Wow. Yeah, great. Oh, I just get so damn excited about Trump unleashed. Whoa, mama. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's getting rid of Jussie Smollett, and he's bringing back Roseanne. Oh, no. Yeah, she's going to have her own show called The Bars. 
It's going to be Roseanne and William Barr and the dirtiest couch you've ever seen. And they're calling them like they see them. And they're taking all the damn Ambien they want, period. Again, I don't think that's happening. But I don't know if you heard, Trump did say he's hoping to launch an investigation into both Obama and Hillary Clinton. What? <laughs> I am here with Cecily Strong. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to finally get to talk with you. I know. it's It, it really is a thrill. As uh, Lauren Roseman may or may not have told you, I've asked like every single day since <laughs> I started this podcast. <laughs> well, that's so nice. Now I feel like I, I better not blow it. No, it's okay. I think we have a lot of mutual friends too. So I've already had very nice I've heard good things and think good things of you oh, good yes when I was on Las Culturistas we talked about yeah. how I'm a fan and I mean you can't go wrong with Las Culturistas you, you cannot that's my uh, bible so <laughs> that's your bible it is, it is it is mine as well it is our, so we we do share religion as well I guess. <laughs> so I want to talk a lot about Janine Pirro but before we get to it, I wanted to sort of ask about two other characters to sort of set the stage and get a sense of the sort of different ways you approach a Weekend Update character. So recently, Colin Jost was on Seth Meyers, and I don't know if you saw, but they were fawning over the first time you did uh, the girl you wished you hadn't started a conversation with. They were so nice. I was, I almost cried. It was so <laughs> sweet. So yeah. for those who haven't watched, they were just sort of talking about how amazing it was that in your first time on Weekend Update. So this was, uh, I think, is like between your second and third episodes when they're doing the Weekend Update Thursdays. Yeah, it was one of those Thursdays. So it was in 2012. And as Colin and Seth described it, your ability to sort of go out on live TV and able to be so comfortable and intentional was like a pitcher who threw a perfect game in their first professional start. Uh, so can you talk about both sort of working on it with Colin and sort of the first time performing it on Weekend Update and what, what, what that was like on your end that was able to impress them so much. It was, it was really fun. Colin and I wrote that early on, uh, just kind of making fun of myself, explaining some ideas that I could do and being like, well, that one says a lot about society. <laughs> um, and, then, and then also what happened at the same time was Jay Farrow was yelling. He was like working out something uh, sketch wise in the hallway, but he kept yelling the N word. And then I went, oh, can I say the N word in mine? Like, you know, obviously as a joke, I hope that's yeah, yeah. obvious. That was a joke. Um, was and then I remembered me. like listening to some male friends, straight male friends who had, um, had these like exchanges with girls in a, bar or a party where they thought this girl was cute or something and then like something inexplicably racist would sort of come out of her mouth and they'd be like what where did that even come from <laughs> and so that was kind of part of it too um it was one of those that's like so easy to write that you wonder if you're like getting away with <laughs> something <laughs> but then you learn like oh simple's good in a lot of ways and then um it kind of just became also like a lot of people that I saw online. Mm -hmm. I think I was telling this story before. There was a girl I, on Facebook. This was later on, but it was um, Obama when he won his second term. She said, wow, 
everybody is so happy right now. And that makes me so sad. <laughs> it was just an insane thing to say. So it was just all of that. Um, and then I think I was so like, I don't even remember being there my first year. I think I was just in shock the whole time. But I'd done a lot of live shows and theater uh comedy and sketch comedy improv so being in front of an audience isn't necessarily i don't think i was like nervous enough yet because i didn't mm -hmm. know the deal and if you think of it as just performing in front of that one audience it's a lot less scary yeah and i guess maybe it was so early on that you didn't like maybe didn't realize how big of a deal was that it was i guess like your third show or whatever to have this yeah yeah, I hadn't gone through like my various cycles of um, self-hatred and implosion and mental breakdowns. <laughs> I hadn't, I was a, not, I was a virgin to all of that. To contrast uh, what it looks like when you're creating a character based on a real person to one out of sort of thin air, can you talk about the sort of conception and evolution in creating Kathy Ann? Sure. Well, even that was kind of based on, I, I would, like, I like, the idea that everybody is a woman that exists somewhere. And I say woman because I mainly play women. But like, so when I was 22, I worked at Greenblatt's Deli and I sold wine there. Um, mm -hmm. And then this is, I smoked cigarettes. I don't anymore, so I can say it. But I smoked outside on my breaks and there was this woman who would always come up and start yelling. And, it, and I would always be like, oh God, don't make eye contact. <laughs> like, just let her yell, just not to me. And I heard her at one point say, the cop said my brother got a DUI, said he's blowing his own bad breath back in his face or something like that. Just so many good yeah. lines. And that's kind of where she started. And then there's just always a lady that's all talking a lot in every bar and diner and alley. Do you store that voice in your head and then wait until a moment when you're like, what's a character I have? Like, <laughs> where do these people live in your mind? I don't know. Um, it's certainly not like I wish it were as easy as like um, a f um, an ex what are they called Outlook spreadsheet or something. Mm -hmm. But it's there's something that's like you know I, I watch a lot of bad reality TV. I mean it's good to me. It's probably sure. bad. No one else would love it as much as I do. But that's where I mean I watch a lot of prison shows and there's just something about like you know if you have if you're missing teeth or. If, don't have teeth. That's sort of, that's part of it. Yeah. That's in there. But um, I do like to play around with my voice a lot just because I think, you know, in real life, people put on voices too, you know, that aren't mm -hmm. be trying to be funny or perform. And so like, even if there's like one line in a sketch, I'll feel really good if I come away from the table and some, James will be like, well, now I wanted to see five minutes of whoever that woman was. <laughs> and that's James Anderson for... Yes, for those yes. Who you, who you write a lot with on SNL. My, so, my darling dear, yes. So the first time you do Janine, which I did not remember, but it was in March 2015. It was a sketch about Robert Durst being interviewed as part oh. of an improv show. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I do, actually. At that sort point, of. it's a sort of different impression. Do you remember that? Do you remember if that put her on or your radar? Yes, I had no idea who she was. And I think I remember asking the writers, like, what do you want me to do? I don't really know how to play her. I don't know who she is. And so that's why I just sort of stood with, you know, in a judge kind of pose. <laughs> and that was like the as far as it got. And it wasn't until um, 
Brian Tucker a couple years ago, we actually tried to do a whole sketch mm-hmm. of the Piro show. And we had we were watching all of her like man on the street stuff because Brian Tucker was obsessed with her first. And she's so wacky. She goes, what? With her like man on the street. And I had no idea. I didn't know this side of our dear Janine. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wrote it where she was like had a seatbelt to keep her in her seat and she had her wine and. But like enough people didn't know her yet. So mm-hmm. it took a it was a long time to really get her on the show. Enough ha- bad had to happen in the world where we all knew who she was. When Brian first showed her to you sort of again through this new lens, like when you're sort of reintroduced to like an old friend, what was it <laughs> that attracted you to her? I think because it was like, there's something too about it not having to fall under the scope of being like a purely political impression because mm-hmm. that's can get so tiresome on our show. You know, it's important, but it's also like, I, I just wanted to go full on clown mm-hmm. um, and just be really silly. And like someone going, ah! you know, is already like a silly clowny thing. And then I said, well, I need, I'm going to fly off the chair. And then mm-hmm. I hadn't really done a lot of physical comedy on the show. So I took like 20 minutes and was very serious and upset with everyone for not. I was like, I, I need my 20 minutes, guys. I need to practice my falling off the chair. But I got about 10 minutes to practice it. And I felt comfortable enough to throw myself. Just to sort of get the time. So this is essentially building up to the weekend update. But sort of before you guys decided to do a weekend update, was there sort of Did you feel like there was something missing in what you were doing on the show? Like, was there a sort of hole in the things that you were able to do that Janine was able to fill? I think so. I mean, that's a really great observation that I'm going to steal. But I think it's like we go through phases of that and you never want to be pigeonholed. And I want to be able to do to try at least more things. And I hadn't really done a lot of um big clowny physical things. Mm -hmm. And it's like I play a lot of especially during the political seasons, like I'm going to play a lot of reporters, which is great. I love being a straight person, straight man, like uh, Phil Hartman's one of my heroes, such a funny straight man. But it was really nice to just act out and throw myself, you know, and then it's sort of like that became a new fun thing for me, especially last year with just kind of doing bigger, sillier, kind of looser things physically. You mentioned the Phil Hartman thing. One of the things that I had noticed is that like you you had done, I think, a little bit of also like what Bill Hader did, which was like you you like narrate a lot of commercials or you like yeah. play host. Was that an intentional thing? Like, you know, Bill talks about it where he's like was very deliberate of like, I'm just going to be around and then eventually I'll break out. Was it as intentional for you or is it just it felt like you can do the voices necessary for those roles? No, I, I mean, it. I don't think I was like gunning to be the female voiceover. It just kind of worked out that way. But then I do like it because it gets me off of a lot of pre-tapes if I'm the voiceover. And um, I'm a real brat about those, especially now that I feel like I'm 87 years old. I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not getting up at 5 a.m. to drive to somewhere in New Jersey. That I had noticed that it did feel like you do less like the you do more live sketches and I was wondering if that was just from a live comedy background but almost everyone has a live comedy background it's just right. that like you don't feel like having to do shoot essentially an entire short film in like 12 hours and some are like you know really cool to be a part of but it's kind of at this point like if it doesn't have to be me I'd rather save 
all of my, the tiny, I, like I've got like a jar of beans and that's my energy for the show. And so I like hold on to that jar for dear life. And so I'm like, I have to be able to read and, and watch <laughs> out for machinery and move and keep my eyes open at Saturday at midnight. So to dig further into Janine, so what is the process of sort of creating an impression? Sort of like, what is like the work of, before you even start writing the words of like, whatever it is that gets you from a vague idea of how she's funny to like actually sort of forming your idea of who this character is? You know, I'm not, like, I've never been um, considered myself really an impressionist. There's been certain ones that are easy, like Sarah Koenig. I just, I listened to so much cereal that it was just like in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it helps if you look and already sound a little like someone or at least have a similar voice. But with her, I, I think it was, it became clear that's like, this is going to be more about the attitude and just the like the clowny part of it mm-hmm. than like really doing a great impression of Janine Pirro. So it's more when we approach them now, I think of, I start with like, what's the f- big thing I can do? I have to, you know, I have to at least move laterally. We can't move mm-hmm. down. So it's like, Tucker, I think now I'm going to throw up red wine all over Colin. Yeah. So it's always <laughs> like, that's how we approach it now. So very, you know, academically like that. Yeah. I mean, how on a sort of technical level, like what I think people are amazed with how people are doing voices, like how how are you literally working on a voice? Are you are you listening to just her and you're sort of like getting to a point where like, well, that's close enough. Let me figure out how to make it funny. Like, are you just listening to tapes of her? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll watch videos and then I'm sure my apartment neighbors realized at some point like or just assumed I was insane because I'll spend a lot of like you get home late and you can't sleep and I'm just up trying to get Sofia Vergara right or Mm -hmm. or Erica Jane and like recording myself to try to find it like where does that sit how did I do that where was it in my where was I putting that I don't think I've ever done too much more than like watching videos I mean really you know you got to be ready by Saturday you usually have like two days I I went in, I got told Saturday morning I was playing Bolton, John Bolton. <laughs> and you're like... And I was like, oh my God, that's such a Colin Jost thing. Mm-hmm. That you walk in and, and you and he goes, do you mind playing John Bolton? <laughs> and then I think like another one I walked in and Kent was like, do you mind um, being a dog translator for a German Shepherd? So <laughs> it's a lot of that. But that, I love that. Keep, that yeah. keeps it loose too. Do you like and and sort of how deep does it go? Like in terms of like when you're thinking of the character, are you like like would you be able to do like a character breakdown? Like in your head, is there like all these character traits of like, oh, this is what's this is how she would do this? Like, or is it instinctual where you sort of like you just sort of like lock into whatever it, it is? I think it's a bit more instinctual. I I think if I was too in my head about it, it would be more mechanical and I wouldn't really be able to do it. I think mm-hmm. it's just like feeling like, oh, that's her. Oh, yeah, this is this gal. And just like, you know, I like the idea that she's always like a little bit horny and a little drunk and <laughs> and self-righteous and has no shame. Yeah. Um, so the first time you do it on Update, so it seems like it was built around, you had the idea for the fall Sort of how do you then work with Brian to sort of write out a thing? Like, what are your different roles and sort of how does a thing come together? 
Oh, sure. Well, he had a lot of jokes, like harder jokes that were really funny. I think his first one um, that I can remember off the top of my head was Mama's got one volume and it's, you know, three Chardonnays deep at a party or something. Mm -hmm. Then I remember we were doing a read with the update folks and they had all these, they had a lot of jokes that I think it was like a Lord of the Rings reference or something very much not my world. But I, it reminded me of Indiana Jones. Like, I found it so funny that she would use Indiana Jones references and kind of like be on the bad guy's side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not realizing, like not understanding the parallels of who the bad guys are. Of. Right. Like, you're not going to wake him up this time. Sword <laughs> step, you know. And then even like the same with Cobra Kai with Karate Kid. I, that like became our own little inside joke with her that she loves the bad guys from 80s movies um with the falling like do you do you read we can update characters at table read or is it or do they tend to be worked on after so it's both i feel like i'm more successful when i don't do it at the table read because mm-hmm. it's really hard you know it's you go through 40 sketches at the table read and then you're asking like people to listen to six pages of one character doing jokes and especially if it's a recurring thing. I don't I don't necessarily like to use that table for those, but I do. I mean, I think it's important. Then we'll still have a table like on Saturday mm-hmm. with with some of the writers. So you can at least hear it out loud and get some um rewrites and joke suggestions before you put it all together to do it in front of an audience. So you mentioned practicing the big fall that you do in in the first one. So what does that practice look like? Do you do one, then like watch the tape back? So I just was like relying on two friends who were an update to watch and see which looked best, you know, whether I have two pillows or one pillow that I'm flying on. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were like, oh, two pillows for sure. Because you're really letting, you can really throw yourself then. And then like my shoe flew off during dress. And it was so funny it was completely on accident. And then we were like, well, I would say, I got to keep that somehow. I got to make my shoe fly. Do you like loosen the shoe? Have you, pra- did you figure out the exact? I, I'm pretty sure I did. Yes. I mean, that's like as technical. It's so funny to talk about it. Like I have <laughs> yeah. some method. It's really like, a, I'm just hoping, come on, shoe fly. You know? uh, is there anything else you remember from the first performance of her? Did you feel like, it it was something special or different, you know, at this point, I mean, this is your seventh or eighth season. So like you've done a few, but like, did it feel like something really struck a nerve that first time? It did. It felt, it felt different because um, there's also, you know, it's really a thing that we always are struggling with on our show and trying to figure out better is, is how to keep things from being so static because, you know, it's usually like there's a two shot and a three shot and you're behind a desk. So it's kind of hard to get a lot of movement or or any choreography like that. Not that that's choreography. So it was kind <laughs> of the first time that I, I really got to go for it like that in a big way. You know, and I think similarly, I had an amazing time doing that um, Love at First Sight sketch with Chance on the wires. Mm-hmm. For a similar reason, you know, where it's like, this is just, I wish we could figure out more ways to do things like that on the show. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you, like, when I, th- when I think especially, uh, like, this compared to Girl at the Party, 
like it's like girl the party it's really successful with a lot of like small things like small facial expressions and stuff and yeah I think you're, you're particularly good at that and then you you also are able to do the big stuff like the chance sketch or the sketch where bill Hader's on a motorized wheelchair and you're <laughs> riding you know how i i sort of have sort of two related thoughts which are sort of how do you think about your comedy in terms of like playing big and playing small and also like the desire to sort of play something real and also play something sort of heightened. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. That's a, <laughs> I've, you're much smarter than I am, especially no. right now in quarantine. <laughs> I think it's like, you know, with girl at a party, that's so, I have so much fun with like the malapropisms and mm-hmm. that's very Colin and I writing together, you know, porn stars was similar where it was like, what can we, what words can we warp just enough? And I love language and I love being able to play like that. But certainly it's not the same with a bigger character or sitting on someone's lap in a motorized wheelchair. Um, So it's kind of, I love having both and being able, you know, being on a show where I get to do both. That's really such a dream. But I think it's definitely like you have to, I I worked my way up to like the bigger silly stuff. I think you have to like earn earn that with an audience too. Especially if you're not just a natural like Chris Farley or Will Ferrell or someone who can come swinging out the gates being so good at that. In general, after the first one or even the first week, did you get any feedback from Lorne that you remember? Well, so right after that one, I remember we were on the floor. I was going to do something else. And it was after Piro and <laughs> Lauren, it was like right as this big piece of furniture or wall was coming. So Lauren came up to say something nice to me and then had to squeeze into the wall <laughs> as this big thing flew by. And he was saying like, that was really good how you flung yourself or something like that. Um, so you do it again <laughs> in the season finale in 2018 Judge Janine, I, I hate to ask this, but have you been drinking? Well, Colin, please! I haven't been drinking. I currently am drinking. I have vowed to enjoy a drink every time President Trump ignores a congressional subpoena. And let me tell you, Mama is a lizard. <laughs> All right. Well, despite Trump's stonewalling, it's still likely that Robert Mueller will testify before Congress. What? Callan, look. That's a, a terrible idea. The report is dead. Senor Mueller has spoken, and he said, no hablo collusion, mine. In general, how do you decide you want to do it again, you should do it again? Like, how, how, how is that the mechanics of that work we're like oh i think it's about time it's been a couple months or is it a thing yeah. in the news no. i think it's you know got to be sort of a combination i don't like to just feel like a factory of you know we have to do this this week we don't have anything i like it to feel like there's been some time so it's it'll be welcome and it feels now it's like special to me so mm-hmm. i want to keep it feeling special and and she had just been in the news Actually, so when we did it, her in the finale, they wanted it earlier for the Mother's Day show. But I remember reading that she lost her mother that year. And I was just like, I'm not going to do her on Mother's Day. That just felt yeah. cruel. Yeah. Um, and so we we did it the next week. But <laughs> so so I do care about her. Yeah, I see that. Um, so that one is 
how does the idea for that one, which was the, the second one is the spit, the spit take one. Yeah. So that was like, you know, it's, it's like vaudeville. Sla- it's like slapsticky just. Yeah. And then it's like, there's all these nerdy guys who I love and girls who write for update and they're, they love getting to be a part of that too. You know, and thinking of like, oh, and then a drink should come from underneath and Shay yeah. will hand you a drink and. I mean, Tucker says like, and you say, thank you, Keenan. So yeah. it was like all hands on deck being as being like old fashioned clowns with each other. So she's paired with Joe from the beginning is, is how how does that decision made? Right. Because it's like Kathy Ann's with Che the entire time. How do you how do you decide whose decision is? Is it is it just just the nature of like, oh, we did one with, che-? you know, like how are the decisions made of like who should be? Because should... like Joe's makes sense for it. But like, how did, yeah. how did that land on it? That's such an interesting thing. And I actually think about that a lot in the show. It's like when you originally write it, you want to keep it pretty open because you don't know what's going to be cut or kept on update. And usually they'll want to give them both a feature. But there are some like Girl at a Party became Che right away. Mm-hmm. You know, I that that relationship was funny. And and Che and Kathy Ann, who are just a natural <laughs> pair of lovebirds. Yeah. Um. But usually I try to keep it open and find something that'll be fun with either of them. But it's fun. Like, either way, I'm trying to make whichever one laugh. You know, I, I really like both of them and like writing with them and like what they write. So it's it's like a pretty joyful thing to do a feature with them. Is it, I guess, so then after it's whoever it is with first, you might then adapt, right? Because I feel like. You're not. Gonna, yeah, I just can't imagine you'd throw a drink or spit on Che, right? <laughs> no, I would never. I wouldn't dare. And it's kind of like you. I you wouldn't want to see it as much as you want to see it to Colin. He, his yeah. book's called Punchable Face. You know. Yeah. He knows, <laughs> and he like Colin loves it. I mean, he like giggles excitedly when I say, "Can I throw red wine up on you?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, that sounds great." <laughs> So that is the the next one, which was in December 2019, which is the Eddie Murphy episode. Oh, please, Colin, Devin Nunes is going to give him hell. And that's Nunes. It's Portuguese. So no enye, comprende, say. That portly Portuguese copy is going to blow the lid on this whole impeachment hoax. Oh, mama. Yeah. Oh, actually, Devin Nunes has been accused of meeting with Russian operatives. What? Sorry, Colin. I've got a bit of a winter tickle in my throat. Winter tickle? So winter threw up a gallon of wine. Then I made some room for a little aperitif. (laughs) So how did how did red wine throwing up? Obviously, like okay, you did a pratfall, then you're doing the the spit take so then where where do you get to throwing up wine um so actually i do think i remember a little bit of how that came to be kent sublette and i and james i think had written this sketch that we never did it never worked but it was like we wrote it originally i think for the jld show julia louis dreyfus Mm -hmm. and we were kind of like these hip high-powered New York executive women at a PR firm and they're always like out at an event and they come in and they're just so hungover. But they're Mm. like, guys, can we focus? And then they just keep throwing up. (laughs) Um, And so 
I kept loving the idea of throwing up. And so it was sort of like, I can do a Pyro or what if I'm like a, a woman giving holiday party tips and I mm. just keep throwing up. And then it was like, well, let's just marry the two. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like performing the throwing? Because it's like, it's, there's the way SNL <laughs> does throwing up, which is like, it's just the SNL throw up, which is like, right. there's the tubes and it just sort of like comes. How does that, what is the system? Who's in charge of the liquid? <laughs> How do you orchestrate that? Yeah, we have this FX guy named Richie, and everybody loves doing his voice. He's such like a New York guy, Richie. And he's like, hey, so what? It's going to blow up. I don't know how big it's going to be. Every time I do, everyone I do sounds like Marge Simpson. That's sure. my Pete impression, too. But so he runs it. And I was so excited to get to like, this is an institution, the SNL mm -hmm. barf machine. You know, and I haven't done it yet. But it was the tube he gave me was so big. I And I have pretty small hands for the size of my body, especially I'm like a little freak. But this tube is so big and you have to sort of wrap your hand around. But it looked like I was holding like a roll mm -hmm. of paper towel or something. It's so big. Um, and then afterwards, there was a lot of discussion. They were like, Lauren, Lauren's really concerned with the audience seeing it. Um, so we, we really need a smaller tube. And... It was funny how like technical and serious yeah. they were. And it's like, if we don't get this down, it's going to be cut. <laughs> so then we had to like change the tube and I just put it in my wrist now. So I actually did it a different way than the mm. SNL barf normally goes. So it came from my wrist instead of my hand. And I just, I tried to use that hand so no one would know it was coming. Um, but I'm still like, I have a giant tube on my back. Yeah. And I kind of am working with Richie to say, because it takes a second for the, the the barf to get up to the tube to come out. So you're still going like, oh, 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 yeah, you yeah. know, before like, is it coming? So it's a lot of that. Um, uh, and, and just trying to get the timing right with Richie. In general, are the, in these, or in Weekend Update, are you able to improvise more than you are, or in general, or more than you would in sort of a more traditional sketch? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I improvise every every single update, but it, it certainly feels like the environment for it. Like I, I wouldn't do that in any sketch. I don't think it's necessarily like the right thing to do on our show because of how many cameras and people are relying on you saying some line that's on a card, you know, but with those two, especially and in that situation where there's just one camera on you, mm -hmm. you're a lot freer to kind of throw something in if you think of it. Like I remember... The first time I really felt that was a Kathy Ann where I said something about like, and Donald Trump needs to get off the internet too or something. And then I went, I mean it. I know he's watching or something yeah. like that, which was yeah. uh, saying that right then. It's just like, there's, it's not like you're improvising a lot, but you're more free to kind of have fun with it and play a little bit. We'll be right back with more Cecily Strong. Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery podcast, WikiHole. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? Or what was in Al Capone's vault? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast, WikiHole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes in Wikipedia with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to WikiHole, you'd learn that that's the sciencey term for eardrum. WikiHole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link 
to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how did we get here? Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or an Apple Podcasts. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. And we're back with Cecily Strong. So... You then do Janine in the season finale, and which was also the third from home edition in, in May this year. I'm sorry, are you, are you having trouble with the Zoom? You're young. Tell me, is your computer supposed to say, please stop screaming? I, I, don't, I don't think so. No. So I'm sorry, you're hoping we can just open up and take our chances? We lost you again. That's the plan, Kimosabi! Oh my God, where are you? Never mind, Ainsley. This economy is a bullet train and it doesn't stop for the week. So buy a ticket or get the hell out of the way. Toot toot! Oh my God. Janine, what are you drinking now? Oh, this, it's called a peanut chloraxa. It's pineapple juice, coconut milk, and a half cup of bleach. And not the bottom shelf kind that they use on truck stop toilets. The good stuff! Generally, what was the from home experience like for you? So crazy. I mean, it was like the most work work I've ever done because I had to learn all these other skills, not well, but, Mm -hmm. you know, that we have experts doing normally at the show. And um, luckily, I had two friends quarantined with me and my friend Kevin made beautiful props for me. He made that big um, wine juice box, the White Mm -hmm. Gale more low, I think it was called. Um, but it was doing my own hair and makeup for the most part and talking to Tom and wardrobe who sent me the yellow dress, a couple of those, and I put the bows on just because I thought that yellow dress was so iconic, mm-hmm. um, her her big bow dress. Yeah. But um, And I even did, so I wear these pulls, these face pulls when I do Janine normally. Um, I just wear them incorrectly. What does that mean? Sorry. So they just kind of, I wore them, you could see them the most in like the reality star sketch I did with Will Ferrell. It kind of gives you like a little, a mini facelift. So I do them to pull my cheeks up and my, so my lips are a little wider. I don't think anybody even notices, (laughs) but I go through it. Mm -hmm. And I did that for the at home show too. So I did those myself, which was crazy. How did you decide to do a Janine at home? And then sort of how did the idea evolve for her, her himself essentially doing it at home thing? So I I missed out really on the first show. I just wasn't, qu- I was still not quite emotionally ready to, to mm-hmm. go be silly yet. You know, I wanted to, and I, I'm happy that I got there. I was, I felt good about it by the second show. And then so for the third, it felt like, I, you know, it's sad to not be in New York. It's sad to not be with these people. And it, this is like a little gift to myself, too, to do Janine. 
And then, you know, luckily she had been doing all these crazy things and for her <laughs> own at home show. She like wrote it for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you landed on a drink being thrown. How did that idea yes. come? I made it so difficult for myself because I also wanted three different costumes. Yeah. I wanted her to keep cutting out because she had had those technical difficulties the first time. And then, yeah, I said, this is so sweet because to me, it was like, this is a little bit of magic during this quarantine, you know, where we don't get to like see people or connect with people. And it's the magic of like something going through the two screens, which is the coconut drink. Yeah. And like, and this thing that's familiar, which is Janine gets him wet, being able to do that in this setting. So it was like much more special to me than probably anyone else. So I spoke with AD earlier this summer about this a little bit, but did doing the shows at home make you think about or, or reconsider your relationship to this sort of live SNL audience? Oh, absolutely. I mean, but but a Zoom show, it's just difficult anyways. You know, I'm like, I, I did uh, Fallon last night and I kept saying like, I don't know how it, I went. I feel like there's blank spaces and then I'm such a, anxious person that I'm like, fill the blank space, fill the blank space. <laughs> so I don't really know. I, and it's just, it it didn't feel like, it felt like we're doing this. It's important what we're doing and we're still having fun. But there was also like an element of, there was something that was like bittersweet in it all. Mm. And, you know, I know this isn't the way we normally do it. I'd love to be doing it the way we normally do it. Um, and so I'm doing this like as an homage until I can do that again. Had, well, I guess you do a lot of live sketches. I was thinking, cause like, you know, AD mentioned that like, right. as you spend more time in the show, you sort of get a little cynical about the audience. Like they don't know real <laughs> comedy. Did you have anything like that, a realization or a newfound respect for having those people there? <laughs> I don't know that I got a newfound respect for our audience. I mean, bless them, love them. Yes, there's there's some like hardcore fans that are wonderful that are there, but it, it's more that it's like being around just everybody, the whole, every the crew even, mm -hmm. and doing something live. It's like you can be much more playful. And I, I again, I don't I don't care about the pre tapes as much. I mean, some I really really love, and I'm like that was great. But it feels like what's so special about our show and this skill that we will study like as long as a doctor goes to school and I can never use it anywhere else. Because not, <laughs> yeah. No one else will have these like study cams and cue cards. Mm -hmm. But it's such a like just our, it, you know, you're reminded how special it is our show, what we do. Yeah. And it's nice to just like have instant like, oh, you laughed. So that was funny, huh? Yeah. Because otherwise I'm like, again, I'm just throwing everything at the wall and I, I'm just crazier than usual. Yeah. You, you've talked about, you know, with characters or in general with your comedy, you want to come from a place of joy is how you've put it. How do you do that while also trying to say whatever you want to say about Janine and her work or her politics? Like, is that a thing that you have to balance? How do you figure out how to be both joyful, but also like get whatever the message is you want to get across? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think like the... That's why we do Janine in this clowny kind of way. So it's sort of like, I wouldn't find it as fun to think about any of the 
more horrible things that she's ever said. So I'd rather talk about Cobra Kai and have her doing some flying or something where it's kind of like, it's really simple. I wouldn't call it like intelligent satire, but it's like a fun way of doing it. You know, like I, this makes sense in my head, the leap. So hopefully it does to you. But I'm always saying, I don't want to talk about Donald Trump with my friend. Like, I don't, I don't want to talk about any of the news, but I do love when Mm -hmm. he does something so ridiculous, bozo on Twitter. Like when he said he met the Prince of Wales, I still laugh about that. And he spelled it like the animal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. I, I want like more clown. Th- I can, I want to laugh at things like that. Yeah. Especially SNL, I think, is under this sort of pressure, partly because as you mentioned with Kathy Ann, he was watching the show, at least at the beginning. He, he maybe still is. But like, you know, most people go into like sketch comedy because they like to be silly and they like to make people laugh. And then you sort of get on SNL and it's like where politics and satire is focused on and like obviously it is you want to play a a part in it but sort of how do you think about your work in those terms of like how do you sort of how did you have to go through a part where you had to like reconcile like what do i do how do i how am i part of this thing if i'm not going to be like i'm not doing trump i'm not doing that impression yeah i mean you do melania like how did you figure out how to fit yourself into that part of the mission definitely um i think there's been like moments when i first did Susan Collins, I think it was like the first episode of last, the Matt Damon one, he did that brilliant Kavanaugh, Mm -hmm. but it was like, you know, they really had, Susan Collins was kind of the straight man in that scene at that point. And I think the writers just sort of made her like, what have I gotten myself into or something like that? And I was like, that's not, we're not going to do her like that. Because mm-hmm. I, I know the women in my life, are they're really angry. They're upset. And if it doesn't make sense to go to like not mention the fact that she's complicit in this. Yeah, yeah. And so in that way, it was like, I never want to go below the belt or be like mean and nasty. But I certainly am like, we're going to get a little digging mm-hmm. in some way. And I think it's just figuring out if you can do it in a funny way, that's sort of that's the the ultimate goal. Yeah. When I, when I think about how Janine fits into your, your oeuvre at SNL, in, and it's like, I think a lot of sketch characters are sort of overconfident, but I think what you do really <laughs> well is like messiness. You have these sort of messy characters. What do you like about playing messy people? Um, one time I had an acting teacher tell me I was a tree and not a flower. Um <laughs> So maybe it's just easier for me. It's like whatever I try to, I can do Eliza impression because it's, we both are trying to do Judy impressions and we're Mm -hmm. just, I'm not smooth like Judy. I'm kind of jazzy like Liza. Um, I think, (laughs) no, I, I think that's just because, you know, growing up in the Midwest and my pilgrim Puritan ancestors, I'm so embarrassed like every day walking down the street, you know, just in general. And so I'm, shocked and appalled and delighted by people who aren't and Mm -hmm. people who just you know those are like i said i love reality tv anybody who's gonna put on a good messy show a good public freak out is like (laughs) you know (laughs) it's a full course meal (laughs) one thing that i i heard you say that i was really interested is you mentioned that 
partly because you were talking to you're on RuPaul's podcast, so it made sense you put it this way. <laughs> but you you think of all your characters as drag performances. Yes. Uh, can you talk about that? What that means, and in in what way sort of is Janine a drag performance for you? Well, I think like when you think of at least like comedy queens, you know, you're being kind of an over the top female character, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm always wearing like big fake tits, <laughs> fake nails. Like that's always been in my closet. So it's like I am dressing in full drag a lot of the time um, to play even just like, well, th- but I'm just the housewife in this. But you know, she's got big old titties and wears <laughs> white flared pants. And so it's still, <laughs> it's still kind of a drag performance in that way. And that's what makes it like funny and worthwhile. And sort of that like, old school you know there's an old-fashioned i'm saying old-fashioned but even in drag like a vaudevillian slapsticky kind mm-hmm. of thing how did drag start to influence like was it intentional had you noticed had like what was your relationship to drag where you were able to put two and two together of right i mean i don't think i was on yeah. purpose like trying to emulate drag queens but i'd always loved drag performances or even like when I was doing a show at the Bailiwick Theater where I did a lot of shows as a kid, there was um, one show called Bitches that I loved that was like an all male cast, but they were all playing high school cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. And it was just it's that kind of big, broad comedy that's uh, it's so funny. And there's a lot of like when I want to play a big character like that, I think that's where that crossover is. But yeah. also with drag, I got even more into it. It was my way of like burying my head in a in a nice rainbow sand after the election. It was like, I just want to be around things that feel good and celebrate people I care about and lift mm-hmm. people and like make the world more beautiful. And so I kind of really <laughs> threw myself into watching a lot more drag at that point, just because it was like, there's too much sad and this makes me feel really good. And it's just a feel good art yeah. form. Speaking of drag, so RuPaul hosted this season. What? You're going to hear the story of this woman that you've all decided is too pathetic to be treated with dignity. Whoa. Because every night, this woman goes home to nothing and nothing. Empty apartment, empty bed, empty head. And now you predators want to empty her purse as well. She went to Sephora on her lunch break to get eyelashes put on top of her own eyelashes. (laughs) Hoping beyond all reason that maybe someone would become a true friend. She has none. Can you talk about working on Uh, the designing women's sketch with him? Can I stop talking about it? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Honestly, like one of the top moments of my life. And it was also my birthday. I, when I didn't know Rue was hosting, it was something that I almost was like, I think it's just not going to happen because we tried for so long. And I was leaving the doctor's office. I had some weird stomach thing. I probably had coronavirus. I was scared I was dying because I just lost my cousin. So I was like, of course I'm next, you know, just Mm -hmm. in that weird, sad space. And then I'm leaving the doctor's office and I looked at my phone and I had all these texts saying RuPaul was hosting and it was on my birthday. And it was like, I mean, I tear up talking about it because it was such like a hug from the universe or something, you know, it was like the nicest thing that could happen. And then that show was so much fun. The after party was the, the craziest after party I've ever seen. I don't think 
SNL's ever had anything like that. I met Shay Coulee. It was Shay's birthday too. Oh my um, god. That it was like my friends were dancing. It was like there's Bowen on a table, and just like everyone was dancing. It was wild. It was just such an amazing night, all in all. And then to get to say, I got to do, you know, to be in like an homage to one of my favorite scenes that I even, you know, even when I was like feeling frustrated with certain people during the years, I would call them Marjorie's. Mm-hmm. And so it was like I get to do that scene finally, and I get to do it with the best scene partner in the entire world. So I was giddy and still am and still like, that's one that I'll just watch some days and it makes me (laughs) smile. So you co-wrote that with James Anderson, who you've written so much with, as as we've mentioned. And did Kent co-write that one as well? Yes. I'm pretty, Kent usually is, is writing with us, even if he's has to do more head writer duties. So in, in general, why did you click so much with James? And in general, what has it meant to have him write for you? You know, he's been mm-hmm. a classic SNL writer from before you were there, but like you've become this sort of surrogate for, you know, their perspective. What what has that meant for you? And sort of where do you think that stems from? I mean, I, I think I would never have lasted this long if not for James and Kent. And he's, they're they're both, but James especially is just so brilliant And we just clicked immediately right off the bat, like found the same things funny. Um, I have a wig drawer in my house because James has a wig drawer and we would just, we make each other laugh all day. And sometimes it can be a really stressful environment, especially considering it's a sketch show. And why are we so dramatic about it? But Mm -hmm. James and I, it's like, he's just become one of like, my best friends in the world. And I think we just, we find the same things funny and we care about things. I care about him. And um, I've been really lucky to to be able to write with him. And I hope that like whatever I do beyond this, I would love to make sure James and Kent are a part of it. Yeah. You know, a lot of the sketches you've done together have focused on, you know, acute pieces of sort of gay or queer culture beyond the sort of designing women sketch. The one I always think of is the Erica Jane sketch, which famously made Larry David break harder than I think any host has ever. Where does your interest or love these subjects or your sort of familiarity of it come from? You know, I think this sounds like so simple and cliche. So there's more, but it's like just having a theater background to start and then I always say, like, you know, I was sort of raised in that theater in Chicago I and mean, my parents were getting divorced and I was always a bit of an alien at school and not sure how to fit in. And it was, I think a lot of my friends who happen to be gay men now, we're just kind of similar. We've not like, I, we haven't had similar experiences, but we've felt certain things in life where you don't quite fit in mm-hmm. and you're drawn to, you know, I watched um, Strangers with Candy over my landline phone with my friend Graham in high school. So <laughs> we're just, you know, I think there's like a sensibility and an appreciation for similar things. And I I love it. You know, it's like so many of my friends yeah. are gay men and I'm, I love all my friends, not because they're gay. I hate them for being gay, but you <laughs> love the sinner. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, 
But I'm always like, when I write stuff, I'm always thinking like, oh my God, I can't wait till you guys see this, until so-and-so sees this. And so it's, you know, it's things that make me laugh and that would make them, and I'm just so excited to like write for my friends who I think are hilarious. Yeah. Though the thing that jumps out to me is like, you're talking about designing women's sketch on Seth Meyers and- he he remarks that like you'd never mention it's a designing women parody, <laughs> and you go well it's for a very specific audience. You know, <laughs> in general, I, you've talked about the sort of Venn diagram of what you find funny and what the audience finds funny, and finding things in the middle. Like for for you and for your sensibility, is Janine Pirro like, oh, this is a way to sort of like package what my sensibility to a thing that sort of can reach a more general SNL audience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and because so much of what I watch is like some dumb, you know, theater fail online or like a goat hitting a reporter in the vagina or something. It's like, so you can't, if you tell Lauren you're doing an impression of that, then he's like, well, do do people know what it is? So you just have Mm -hmm. to kind of change everything a little bit and just call it a character. And that's how you get something on the show. Yeah. You know, I can't imagine anyone sort of feels entitled to an Emmy nomination or expects it at any point. But I imagine you must feel something sort of when other cast members get nominated. Did you feel any sort of way at, you know, about over the years when sort of other people were nominated just generally? Yeah, of course. I mean, I wish I could be like, I'm made of steel and I'm so confident (laughs) that nothing can shake me. But it's, you know, it definitely felt like, I think a couple summers ago, and I'm always... Obviously, this should go without saying, I really, truly love the people I work with. And like I could sob about how much I love them right now. And so anything good happening to them is wonderful. And like, I I love that. But it certainly made me, you know, just in like darker moments where I let like my own depression or self-hatred or anxiety get in the way. It's like, am I not likable? Mm -hmm. You know, at one point I felt like I felt (laughs) like being singled out as the one they didn't like as much or something. And, and I definitely feel so taken care of and loved by everyone on the show and people are so nice about it. So even this year I was like, Oh God, it's the worst because people that have great intentions who are being really nice, always text like, I'm really sorry. You should have. And it's always like, God, it's okay. I'm, I'm okay. Don't feel bad for me. Then I wonder like if I should be feeling bad for me. So it's usually a day like that. And I absolutely was not expecting and still, you know, I'm grateful. It was a really fun day getting to talk to all these people who were so, so nice. And um, if anything, like that's that's the win. It was really nice. And I was like, I bet you Kate and Adie are probably like, oh, thank God. (laughs) We can talk about it in front of her. (laughs) When I, you know, I talked to Brian a little bit uh, before interviewing you, and we had talked before Keenan got nominated, and we had talked about it sort of that way of like, here is this all time great sketch performers, like who yeah. we as people who know sketch know what he's doing. We're talking about his Keenan, and how can he not be recognized? And eventually, I wrote a piece being like, "Dear Emmy voters, <laughs> this is what Keenan is doing, so you know." And now he's sort of been nominated every year since, and and he was saying he felt the same way about you which is like there's this person and it's like i think of you sort of as a sketch performer sketch performer but so in general to be nominated 
what does it mean to you? And, or just sort of does it shade how you think about your time on SNL any differently? I think so, for sure. It's nice. You can't, there's no, <laughs> there's no way around that. Yeah. And I think like seeing someone like Keenan go that long was like, this isn't, I don't have to, this is not going to be like an internal gauge for me, obviously, you know, whether I, I get a nomination for something or not, because really like, you know, Keenan used to send texts every Sunday and say, that was really, what a great show for you. And here's what, something I read. You Just so freaking nice. Yeah. And it's, you know, having like the respect of people that I think are amazingly talented and good at this it's like that's my gauge mm -hmm. and this is feels like this is the best icing on a cake um and how great that i don't have to go dress up and go go <laughs> to sit there it's a real have a way. camera on me when they say someone else's name <laughs> do you have like i mean this is i have no sense do you have any sense if there's a reason why this year compared to any other well if to be totally honest i I lost my cousin, Owen, to glioblastoma at the start of the year. And that was like, that's been such a big part of this whole year for me. And I wasn't able to talk about it for a long time. And then with coronavirus kind of stopping everything, I was finally able to really like grieve him and think about him. And I've sort of been using him as like a navigator for this time and like trying to find magic. And he told my uncle at one point, he was like, this was the best year of my life. And that was like living with brain cancer and doing chemo and polio therapies. And it was like, if he can do that, what a great role model to like be open to nice things happening, even if you're feeling so unsure and everything's kind of scary. And so in my head, it was like, that felt like, a little, a little gift from him. And I think even just doing the article in Vulture, mm -hmm. so many people read it. And it's kind of sometimes the Emmys, it's like, it's really people going, we liked this other thing that you did. Yeah. And so part of me is like, I wonder if that I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if that article and, and then therefore Owen is a little bit a part of it. And so I'm taking it that way a little bit anyway. And I'm choosing to because it's a nice way to think about it. You know, we're talking a lot about Weekend Update, which you were actually the anchor of for a season and a half <laughs> early in your... I, it's like I forget about it. It feels like a completely different era. And Just update, one season. It, yeah, I know. Update is, you know, a great but sort of different opportunity. And, and it seemed fairly mutual when you sort of didn't return as an anchor and, and Che will slot it in. But considering what you've done on the show in the six seasons since, how do you look back on that decision to go back to sort of like re-assume as a sort of regular cast member? I mean, I I think at this point, I'm like, how lucky to have gotten to do that too, yeah. you know? And it was really, you know, I, I think Amy Poehler is so incredible and Seth is so incredible. So it was, I feel so lucky that I got to do that with him. And then I'm so glad Che and Colin are doing it and they've turned it into something like that I, I just wouldn't have been able to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And- I thought I'm much better at this other thing. I really appreciate the update jokes and being an anchor, but I think I'm much better and enjoy. I want to be a clown more, you know? Yeah. I want to be a clown. You know, when I prepare to interview as someone on SNL, I'm always struck by how 
Every interviewer asks whoever they're talking to when they're planning on leaving the show, no matter how long they've been on SNL. It's like your first <laughs> year. It's like, what's your plan next? It's, 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 it is uncanny. So I promise not to ask you when you're leaving, but uh, I will ask a sort of adjacent question, which sure. is, what do you hope it will feel like when you are ready to leave? I don't know. I mean, this sort of all made it tricky and I think like it should be kind of tricky I think of it like it's got I want it to be kind of like an Irish goodbye you know because it's otherwise it's just too overwhelming it's like I wouldn't know how to say goodbye to this place Ugh, mm-hmm. like I choke up even saying that <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a nerd uh, okay. but so it's kind of like I would want to like I like being the being able to pull back from the show a little bit and kind of still get to do some things, but letting the new people who are brilliant get more space and shine and then to kind of leave that way, but to know that I always can go back home, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm even like, I'm buying a house in New York now and I haven't bought anything in New York, but I've really fallen in love with um, Hudson Valley, especially what it's offered me, you know, just this kind of peace and contentment and SNL in that way. And so it's like, I'm going to officially, I'm going to make an honest woman out of New York. (laughs) So that sound means it's time for our final segment, which is the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because this is comedy, it's a laughing round. Um, (laughs) So it's like shorter questions, hopefully lighter questions. I promise. Oh my God, that's me, not you. This is... Try no, having like a honestly, light conversation with me. We're both crying and talking I, about. I promise you, it is it is equally me. <laughs> okay, good. And you could pass on these because they're short and whatever. Um, do you have a favorite joke? Joke like a street joke? Oh, I like. Th- um, uh, so here's one. How many mice does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Two. But how you get them in there? <laughs> and then I really like the two whales at the bar joke. Do you know that one? No. So two whales are sitting at a bar and one turns to the other and he goes, and the other one goes, man, you are drunk. (laughs) You can really take your time with that one, too. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite accent to do and can you do it? So I got very into South African for a while. I'm not very good at it, but uh, I really like it. So it's sort of, I have to get into it, but it's like I have to hit my consonants a bit harder. Uh, but I watched this like documentary about South Africa, and I just remember this kid being like, split the log, you pussy, split the log. <laughs> just hit it, just fuck it. A lot of people here are spitting and farting and kicking. They are really racist. So that's my hilarious jaunt into South Africa. And then I like, um, I don't know, I like most accents. Oh, I love a lot of, like, I love English accents and Essex, all of that. I love watching Love Island for that reason. Can you do one, one of your favorites? Now that you brought it up, the listeners are just dying to hear one. Sure, <laughs> please. This is my favorite thing to do. Um so, like, when I think about the only way it's Essex, it's all, they're always like, thing is, though, when you was out with her, it felt, like, so aggy towards me that, like, 
I don't even know if I can like trust you again. That's my. I'm Has, also like creating a dramatic a scenario. Did you yeah. have you done it for a British person and they're like, that's correct? Like, do you right? Because this was the year that Phoebe Waller Bridge hosted, right? So did uh, she was yes. like, did she go, yes, that's what we sound like or they She's sound an like? Angel. You know, actually, like I was doing a bit of my best try at Liverpool with Idris and he was very impressed, but I think he was probably also being nice. And I just like, if I watch enough Love Island, I'm much better at it than trying to like come into it. I have to just really watch hours and hours, which I do Yeah, for my craft. Yeah, it's I make for work. the sacrifice. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. do it for the craft. Um, do you have a comedy crush? Ooh, um, I think Tim Robinson is so funny. Sam Richardson. I loved working with those guys. I loved them in Chicago. I love Amy. I guess everyone. I mean, I have a billion crushes in general. Sure. Anybody who's like a bad guy in a European miniseries, I probably am so horny for. Um, Is there a character that someone else has done in any era of SNL that you wish you could steal or wish you could do in a world where they never (laughs) did it? It's only your character and you get to do it and everyone will love it. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, I Sweeney sisters are great. And like, who? I, I mean, oh, and basically like, I mean, I wouldn't want to have been the one to do it. No, I want to just watch them do it. Like Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, everything they did, gold, gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you don't want to be Wayne. You would like, you want Wayne to exist because you get to watch it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I had like that movie memorized. <laughs> um, is there any celebrity that you think you think you can impersonate either because of energy or you can do the voice, but you look nothing like, so you don't get to do on the show. Idris Elba <laughs> as John Luther. So wait, did you do that for him? Were you saying, or I you- sure did. <laughs> we were at dinner and I was so shy because I'm such a big fan. And Kate was like, have you done it for him? And so I had to do it, but it's a lot of squinting and putting my hand on my face and being like, no, no, <laughs> You can't see me, but it looks really good. Yeah. And you just said, no, Alice, Zoe, Ian. Just yelling his name. But it's the squint and kind Got of it. putting your head, your chin down and looking up, rubbing your your lips and your chin. That's my Luther impression. Um, so as an SNL cast member, you have told the story of how you got cast I have to imagine every day for the last eight years. <laughs> so I'm going to see how fast you could tell the story. Oh, God. You've already heard me talk. Well, it's a test. We'll see how fast you can do it. Um, you can use time jumps and smash cuts. You don't have to, you know, as fast as you can. Okay. Uh, starting now. I'll time you. Starting now. Okay. I did a um, a showcase at I.O. at the beginning of the summer. I didn't do any impressions or solo characters. I didn't come from that world. So I took a workshop. And I tried some out. I did the showcase at I.O. I was called to like a speed dating thing where I got to meet Lauren and some producers the next day. Then I was flown to New York for a screen test with other women. Then the next day, I was flown back to New York for that crazy test where they just sit around with you for a couple hours and make sure you're not a lunatic or that you're the right kind of lunatic. Then I waited a couple months and tried to not think about it because nobody gets SNL, so don't let it hurt me. And then I got flown in for another screen test. So I did new characters. And then the next week I got flown back out with 
AD and Tim, and uh, we all had a confusing meeting with Lauren where it turns out we were hired. Bam. Uh, 53 seconds. Okay. You should have seen me doing a mile run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, last one, is there a sketch that, I mean, there's probably a million, but one that jumps out of you that a sketch that didn't work, maybe went to just table, maybe went to dress rehearsal that you tried once or twice that you think is brilliant, that you couldn't get enough audience to laugh out of that to do on the show, but you'll go to your grave as like, this is the one that got away. Um, oh, gosh. There's one that we would try a lot at the table we found so funny called Book Club, where I just remember Leslie kept reading her Star Wars fan fiction, and everyone kept going, you know that's not the Book Club book. Um, <laughs> that one never went. I always thought it was really funny. And then Adi and I tried to do this one based on like the Dallas Housewives ladies who show up at her nephew's birthday party. I'm not selling these very well, so. No, it's great. <laughs> it's a, just dumb, big character things. And Vanessa and I once were doing this country music singers who had just been separated. They were joined at the head. And then they just been separated. And then yes, the but they're still ensues. performing their songs. And their songs were like, <laughs> if the timing ain't right. I just There was something about creaming and jeans and... I don't remember. They were funny songs too. Uh, that's great. That's that's it. That's the end of the interview. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was so great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad to finally get to talk to you. That's it for another episode of Good One. You can watch Cecily's appearances as Janine Pirro on YouTube. You can watch old episodes of SNL on Hulu and Peacock. Follow Cecily on Instagram at Cecily Strong. Good One's produced by myself, Jelani Carter, Art Chung, and Camila Salazar. Gautam Shrikashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with the return of John Mulaney. Have a good one. Support for this episode of Good One came from the Wondery Podcast, WikiHole. WikiHole takes listeners on a wild journey through the most bizarre catacombs of everyone's favorite crowdsourced online encyclopedia. Listen to host Darcy Carden and her funniest comedian friends dive deep into the obscure, the absurd, and the curiously inane. There's truly something for everyone with a taste for oddly fascinating information. Whether you're interested in Crystal Pepsi, Lenny Kravitz, or how Carden's fear of dolphins connects to Stetson hats. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. <laughs>